Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. So please turn your Bibles to, again, Jonah and the first chapter, reading together from the verse number one. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In this chapter, there are three great things. There is the great city mentioned in verse number 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. There is the great wind mentioned, of course, there in verse number 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind. 
And the same word is the word mighty that's also used there in verse number 4, and the word great used in verse number 12. The great city, the great wind, the great tempest, all again describing the second great thing. And then verse number 17, there is a great fish, a great city, a great wind, and a great fish. But over all of these three great things rules a greater God, a God of supreme and infinite greatness, a God who sends wind and sends a fish in order to show his mercy to the city. The great city has shown mercy, and God shows that mercy as he controls the elements and the animal kingdom, sending winds and fishes to show the mercy of God to that city. This God is so great that no man can possibly hope to escape the Lord's presence. Remember, Jonah's desire here, as he flees in the presence of God, is to have what we might call an honorable discharge from the work of being a prophet. He no longer wants the job that God has given him. He's seeking to discharge himself from the commission that comes from the sovereign God. But God has chosen Jonah. God is sovereign over Jonah, and so the great God sends wind, not because he is cruel or mean, but because he is kind and good, kind to Nineveh, and crucially also kind to Jonah. And so whilst this chapter demonstrates, again, hardship for Jonah, he finds himself almost dead in a storm, followed by being in the midst of a fish's belly, yet it is in the kindness of the God of heaven. God is here, and I say this without any embarrassment, God is imposing his will on Jonah. God has that absolute right. His will holds sway in our lives. But that is not something to cause the child of God to fear. That is something to cause the child of God to rejoice in. Because God imposing his will upon us is imposing what is best for us. God's will is best for Jonah here. Best for the Ninevites, but it's also best for Jonah. You see, God's will for us and his work in us is always for our best. And our misery is often due to our not accepting that. Again, so you find the turmoil often with people who are resisting God and who are backsliding away from God. They enter misery because they are fighting against God's good will for them. They're seeking a will of their own, but that will is not for their benefit. That will is for their misery. And so we see here in this chapter the greatness of the great God's. God is greater than the city, greater than the winds, greater than the fish. God is greater than all things, the absolute sovereign gods. And so let's look at this chapter tonight by considering the pictures that we see of a great God in a great storm. First of all, we note a God who is great in patience or great in mercy. And it's said to you, Jonah suffers here. He suffers the price of trying to flee from the Lord. And whenever one of God's children would seek to flee from God, there are consequences that follow. God loves his children, and he chastens those he loves. And so it is for Jonah here, he's suffering the price of trying to flee from the Lord. But he does not receive what he deserves. 
what we're seeing in this chapter is a show, a display of God's patience and God's mercy. He has given a storm to awaken his senses, but his life is spared, his soul is spared. I just wonder how many times have our lives been spared in the mercy of God. Before coming to Christ, how many times did God spare our lives in order that he would show us his mercy? You look back over your life and you think to yourself, Oh, but for the grace of God. Where would I be today but for the grace of God? And even you think, not even just before your conversion, think even post-conversion. When times in action and even perhaps by word, we have denied the Lord, we've argued against God, we've been bitter against God or grumbled against God. And God has so often restored us to himself with the look, the look that comes like Christ looks upon Peter and we're restored with the look but not the terror that may well have been or just deserves. This storm is a display of God's patience to Jonah. And it is a remarkable thing to contemplate again that God in his providence may lead us into paths of tremendous sorrow, but those sorrows may be manifestations of God's mercy, not God's cruelty toward us. Remember, we always receive from God less than what we deserve. And so we see God's greatness and his patience here. But secondly, we see the greatness of God in his pursuit of Jonah. Jonah can't hide from God. We noticed last time how he goes down. Remember we saw this kind of language of going down is, a, is, is, is picture language for someone falling away and backsliding from God, like going down to Egypt. And so it is for Jonah here. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down towards Tarshish in the ship. And he goes down into the ship itself. He's going down and down and down. And he finds himself in the sides of the ship. And he is there asleep. Verse number 5. He sleeps. Now, we're not told why he sleeps. And so you need to be very careful here. Well, you don't draw too many lessons out of this. Some may suggest, well, perhaps his conscience is now clear. He can sleep because he's got a, a peaceful conscience. Well, if that's the case, his conscience is hardened. He has no right to have a peaceful conscience at this time as he flees from the Lord. Some suggest perhaps he's just he's so relieved. He had this burden upon him, and now he's so relieved to be leaving what he thought was his what he thought was his duty, and so he finds himself in the midst of this deep sleep. I suspect perhaps the reason may be again speculation that he's undergone profound mental turmoil in the previous days. Likely hasn't slept for quite a few days as he's wrestled with this call of God in his life. And having not slept, he's now come to the point where he's in sheer exhaustion. Now, sometimes we say to people, well, if you can sleep well, you're at peace with God. But here's Jonah who's sleeping well, who should not be at peace with God. So don't let sleep judge your standing before God. What we're seeing here again is that Jonah cannot hide from the Lord. The Lord is able to get him in the pit of the ship. If I go to the depths, there God is even there. And so Luther has this quaint way of putting it. He puts it this way. He says, not only the ship, but the whole world becomes too small for Jonah. It's a wonderful way of describing it. There's nowhere in the world that Jonah could go to hide from the Lord. He finds Luther says, he finds no nook or corner in all of creation, not even in hell, where he might crawl in. 
But he must needs expose himself, and here's the key, he must needs expose himself to the gaze of all creatures and stand before them in all his ignominy. He's going to stand before men in his shame. We have a God who pursues people. And again, praise his name. He's a God who chases after sinners and backsliders and brings them unto himself. He's the God that sought out Adam as Adam sought to hide in the garden. He's the God that sought out Saul of Tarsus, though while Saul kicked against the pricks, those pricks continued to the point that Christ appeared to Saul and drew him to himself. He's the God that gladly pursues the backslider, prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it, we wonder, but God is pleased to restore the backslider to himself. We are like sheep that goes astray, but God is pleased to bring us unto the fold. That is our experience. Certainly as those who are unconverted once, but also for those of us who at times have sought to wander away from the Lord, He did not let us go. He does not let His people go. Jonah goes a long way from God here, but God's reach is longer than Jonah's fleeing from the presence of God. And so you see in this pursuit two things. First of all, Jonah is revealed. We see that. It's down in the text here when it comes to the men. The storm comes. And what are they going to do to reveal the one who's brought this storm? Now, I'm going to go back next time and look at the mariners there. An interesting study in themselves. But for now, see that in their paganism, they, they presume that somebody has displeased their God. There's superstition in it all. But God is overruling their superstitions. And so in verse number 7, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah, and Jonah is revealed. Is he revealed by lot? Is it by chance? If I can use the play on words, no chance of that. There's no way in which Jonah has been revealed sin by chance. He's been revealed by the sovereign purpose of God. Proverbs chapter 16, of course, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Jonah is revealed by the sovereignty of God. It is God who controls the lot here. Not these men, but God himself. Each of these men had, if I can put it in human terms, they had a fair chance of drawing the condemning lot. But God ensured that Jonah drew that lot. Now, we may not be revealed due to lots, but it has amazed me over the years how personally and in others, in family and in church context, how often in God's simple providence, hidden sin is revealed. It might take some time, but it's a wonder of God's mercy that so often those people who presume that they're sinning and getting away with it, eventually their sin finds them out. That is the mercy of God. And again, we often say, and I've certainly said my children over the years, whenever some particular sin was manifest, I would say to them, this is of God's mercy. That you were not allowed to sin in this way and get away with it. But your sin was uncovered because God is revealing to you again the state of your heart and that you have a need for a Savior. Whenever God shows our sins, it's a point us to Christ. And that is the wonderful mercy of God's. 
Could it be the case even now, as you listen to this message, could it be the case that some of you have some hidden sins and God's going to bring that to light for you to get to Christ Jesus? But if you have some hidden sin, and it's hidden away and no one knows about it and you've never dealt with it properly, you've never gone to Christ for that sin, that's a very troubling situation. But God's allowing you to sin with this sense of not being revealed and exposed because it's God and his mercy that reveals Jonah and exposes his sin. He is revealed. Secondly, he's also examined. Now what struck me when I read this chapter again, I hadn't read it for some time, and I, I read it again and I was struck by the number of questions the mariners ask. You see a repeated number of questions here. Verse number 6. Basically, what meanest thou, O sleeper? Again, what that actually means, hard to be certain. Probably, how can you sleep? What are you doing sleeping in the midst of this storm? Then verse number 9. Who are you and how did you get here? Sorry, verse number 8. He says, tell us we pray thee, for whose cause is evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? Who are you? What are you about? Jonah gives the answer, of course, in verse number 9. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. He's forced into giving this word of testimony. Then verse number 10. Why hast thou done this? Why have you done it? And what have you done? Well, they knew he's fled from the presence of God, verse number 10. But the question is, why? Why would you sin against the God that makes the heavens and the earth? Why would you do that? Then verse number 11. What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm? You see the questions? How can you sleep? Who are you? Why have you done this? And what should we do to you? These are very, very intriguing questions. Now, I'm conscious that this message goes across uh, on the radio. And these are questions that I think are very appropriate to search the hearts of every unconverted person. How can the unconverted sleep in the storms of life? This world is in chaos. You look across the world, any news coverage, and you see the world that is groaning under the effects of the fall. And the sin of this world is present for all to see. And yet there are those, and they sleep in peace without dealing with the matter of their own sins. What are you doing sleeping when the world is breaking apart due to the fall? Who are you? Do you not know you're made in God's image? accountable to God maybe perhaps you're somebody who's been raised under the gospel and you're running from God how did you get here what's your heritage at the very least you're an image merit of God and you will give an account to God in that final day why have you done what you've done don't you know the nature of your rebellion against God who God is and how awful sin is against this good and kind God why would you sin against this God say the mariners to Jonah and the word of God says to all of his creation why would you sin against this God and then of course what shall we do to you Jonah says throw me into the tempest throw me into the sea I know what I deserve do you know what you deserve here tonight, unconverted person? Deserve to be lifted up and cast into hell itself. That is what you deserve. 
This is a profoundly searching examination. Ungodly men are exposing Jonah to scrutiny. The questions force Jonah to face reality. He's accountable to God. His attempts to run are futile. And so verse number 9 is perhaps the beginning of his recognition. I am an Hebrew. And nobody says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. There's this almost the beginning of a dawning of realization. I know who I am and I know who the Lord God is. And perhaps conviction is beginning to dawn upon Jonah's soul. You see, as Jonah is revealed and examined, we get an insight into his condition. You see, we're seeing God who's sovereign and great in the pursuit here. And as Jonah is revealed and examined, we see the depth of his condition. We see his prayerlessness, don't we? It takes a polytheistic, idolatrous sealer to tell him to pray. We're not told why he slept. We're not told why he's not praying. But the fact is he's not praying. In the midst of tremendous physical danger, he's not seeking the face of his God. Is it a sense of hopelessness or unbelief? I don't know. But even today, there are pagans who pray in their troubles, and we, the Lord's people, sleep in prayerlessness. It ought not to be so. There are pagans in their troubles who will call upon God. And so you'll get some situation happens in the world, and Twitter will go mad with pray for somebody. And yet God's people go through life oftentimes without ever seeking the face of God. Prayerlessness. A revelation of Jonah's condition. Also note his purposelessness. He lacks purpose here. There is one question that he does not answer. It's found there in verse number 8. What is thine occupation? He does not tell them what his job is. And again, we can speculate why, but I think it is significant. Remember, his desire is to forsake his duty. And so now he finds himself on the run, and he's forgotten what his purpose is before God. Now, we may not run like Jonah, but in spiritual decline, we may forget our duties and our calling. We're the children of God, and we're to live for his glory in worship and in obedience. We are those who are called by God's grace. And when we fall away into bypath meadow, we forget our purpose and we forget our duty. Every word to describe us should be preceded by the word Christian. We belong to Christ Jesus. You're a Christian and you put your occupation after that. Whatever you are, you do so as a believer, as a child of God. You're a Christian parent, a Christian spouse, a Christian child, a Christian elder, a Christian deacon. Whatever you are, you're a child of God and your purpose is to serve Christ for his glory. That's your purpose. And when we fall away from the things of God, tragically we lose our sense of purpose and meaning. These are terrible signs. Prayerlessness and purposelessness are signs of people who are turning away from the Lord. And if these things describe you today, again, check your heart. Maybe perhaps you're more like Jonah than you think. And you have this need again to reassess, repent, and draw near to Christ afresh. God is great in his pursuit. And if he's pursuing you today, praise his name. He's not willing to let his people go. Great in patience, great in pursuit. And then very briefly, great in preparation. Verse number 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish 
to swallow up Jonah. But God, God who's over all of creation, over land and sky and sea, God is the one who's able to bring ravens to Elijah. He's able to shut the mouth of Daniel's lions and he's able to send the great fish to Jonah. Knowing all things in advance, God had prepared a great fish. Knowing the very time and the moment where Jonah would fall into the sea, he had the fish at the right place at the right time in God's sovereign overarching control of this world. Praise his name. Knowing his love for his wayward prophet, God had prepared a great fish. Knowing his future plans for Jonah and for Nineveh, God had prepared a great fish. God has all this prepared because he's doing his best work in Jonah's life. That is our God. He sovereignly prepares our futures for our present needs and for his future plans. God leaves nothing to chance. He does all of his work all the time in all the lives of his children. Now I understand here, Jonah serves in verse 17 as a type of Christ. He comes out of the wheel in the resurrection. But let me use the fish at least as an image of what God does in salvation. Because God in salvation prepares a means whereby he would show mercy to a rebel. It is God who prepares the ark. 1 Peter chapter 3, when the ark was a preparing. A vessel prepared to rescue his children from the coming wrath that was from the most high God. It is God who prepares a body for Christ. Hebrews chapter 10. A body as I prepared me. God prepared a mediator, a saviour, a redeemer. That we could enter into Christ and be saved. Be rescued. And be given a purpose in God's kingdom. This is the God who prepares these things. Trusting in God. Trusting in God's prepared place of refuge is the answer to sin and is the pathway to spiritual usefulness. Trusting ultimately in the Christ of God. Again, this just pictures that. God prepares this fish to get Jonah back on the path of proper obedience and proper service. Jonah has shown God's mercy here, his patience. He's certainly pursued by God, and God has prepared all of these things in his sovereign kindness. The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. May God help us to believe. As Christ believed this account, may we also believe this account and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jonah for the glory of his name and for the well-being of our souls. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.